Let's just get right to it. Uh, hello and welcome to Hello Governor of the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and my guest today is a legend in the voiceover industry, Mr. Michael Dobson. How are you doing, sir? Wow, Abdullah. That's uh, quite an opening, brother. Thank you so much. I'm very, very flattered. Thank you, man. I'm, uh, things are good. I'm so, I'm so happy to be on your podcast. No, it's, it's, weird. it's weird because I just noticed, like, looking at the guest list, I'm like, you know... For someone who doesn't, who's who's big into Transformers, if you listen to my show alone, you must be thinking to yourself, man, this guy's favorite character must be Starscream because he's interviewed a lot of voice actors who voice Starscream <laughs> in various incarnations. <laughs> All the incarnations of, of, of Starscream? Thank you, my brother. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I know, uh, because... I interviewed like Frank, who does Starscream, and and he he did Starscream in a couple projects. Yeah. Um, Daniel Ross, who did him in the movie tie-in game. Um, cool. And uh, I think that's it. <laughs> By like, I mean two Starscreams. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a bunch of us, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Charlie Adler's in there too. I think I think Charlie played. Uh, yeah. Played I reached out to Charlie. He was too busy. He said, like, you know, his representative said, like, he would love to do it, but he's just so insanely busy, and I don't blame him because, again, he is, you know, teaching. If he's not teaching classes, he's directing, and I'm like, you know, you do you, sir. <laughs> that would be a fun interview, though. He he is he is so funny, man. He's he, he's just a great guy. I've I've, uh, I've been casting a few things that he directed. And it's, when Charlie Adler is directing, it's just a blast in the studio. It's always fun. He's a cool guy. Now, everyone I've talked to has has nothing but nice things to say about him. And I'm like, cool. Because, you know, with with this day and age, like a lot of my heroes turn out to be like really terrible people. But I'm like, okay, as long as Charlie <laughs> Adler is still a decent human being, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the world is good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't see him ever, ever, ever changing it. Yeah, I'd keep pursuing that one because I think that would be an awesome interview. I think you'll have a great deal of fun with him. He's pretty cool. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a really cool dude. And uh, yeah, but, and by by many Star Screams, I just mean two people who voice Star Scream, and that is enough, <laughs> honestly, because <laughs> <laughs> Star Scream all the time. But you know, your your Star Scream, like looking back at the history of Transformers and. Nowadays, with the new legacy toy line celebrating, you know, all the incarnations of Transformers, and we're finally getting Armada stuff, new Armada toys after how many years now? It's been a long time, man. Yeah, it's uh, past the decade marker, and that's for sure. It's a couple of decades, I would I would think. Yeah, yeah, because the show started back in two thousand two and ended in two thousand three, so like go. over yeah, tw- twenty years now. So there you go. Wow. Wow, has it been that long already? Oh, time is moving way too fast. That's I insane. Mean, it, it, that's cool that I, I didn't hear about that actually. So uh, I have did, to look out for that. Now you didn't see the new toy that they made of Armada Starscream. I, I thought that would be like the first thing you would see. Uh, like, <laughs> of, 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 uh, no, I, I, I've got, um, I've got the Armada Starscreams from back in the day when when Hasbro was releasing them while we were doing the show. But that, that's. Uh, so I guess they're, they're pretty cool because they, they would be the first gen of, of uh, Energon stuff. But um, yeah, I, I got them here in my studio. No, I was just going to say, I got the 
the huge screen that came out. Yeah, I never took him out of the box. He's still in the box, but I feel bad. I hope that the batteries that are in him aren't like destroying him from the inside out. Because <laughs> he needs his spark. <laughs> I mean, you got the Armada Starscream and you got the um, Energon Starscream, which always looked weird i never that toy always looked weird that i don't know what what it is about that toy it's just way too uh, i don't know it just looked weird to me it just ugh, it just had that triangle <laughs> shape and i'm just like eh, i don't yeah. know how i feel about yeah. this and then you got the Cy- the cybertron one which was just really really big and i had that thing and it broke and i'm like okay. oh did it <laughs> I'm glad I didn't take mine out of the box then. It's still in one piece. <laughs> well, that sucks that yours broke. <laughs> Sorry, man. And I, I got it new in the box and everything, and I just like got it out, and then it just broke, and I'm like, oh, well, that's what I get for buying stuff off eBay. <laughs> oh, no. That's too bad. <laughs> yep, sight unseen. So, like, how did you get started? Like, how did the whole voiceover thing start for you? Um. It's it's funny because um, way back when I first came to Canada, <clears throat> excuse me, I we landed in Ontario, and anyway, long story short, I, I went back to school, and there was these electives, and um, I thought that was really so. I I kind of <clears throat> really had always been interested in the arts, and never really had an opportunity to kind of explore that. So there was a theater arts class, and. Um, Literally, like the the first day in that class, it was like I found my tribe and, and something lit up inside me. And I started off in theater and uh, belonged to two theater companies in, in Ontario and was performing a role of plays. I wrote my own play and toured it for a little while. And then uh, I came out west and um, I pursued uh, theater in, in uh, Victoria and uh, went to as a part time student. I was at UVic for a little, little bit and um, I managed to get in on some of uh, their productions at the Phoenix theater. And, and uh, anyway, I was doing a lot of theater in Victoria and then it, it just turned out that there was a guy in the apartment building where I was living that was the creative director for CJVI radio station there. And uh, we'd always talked in the hallway and stuff like this and joked around. And he said, Hey man, you, you do all these voices and stuff like that. He said, uh, um, have you ever done anything with that? And I, I had no idea what he was referring to. And, he said, uh, "Well, I was just thinking uh, to do some comedy bits and and uh, some some commercials at the station." He said, "Would you mind dropping by?" So, so I said, "Sure." So I, I went by there and they literally kind of popped me in the studio and just said, "Hit this button for record," and just kind of improvise. And I, I was doing improv comedy in Victoria at the time too, so that wasn't a huge leap for me. So I, I just kind of hit the record button, did a bunch of stuff, and left. And they said, "Thank you so much." And then I think it was like. About a week later, I got a letter saying, "Would you be interested in in being a on air um, jockey for from the twelve till um, like eight in the morning kind of gig?" And I thought, "No, just <laughs> I don't want to work midnights and try do so." But they, but what I did say yes to was doing the comedy spots and stuff. So literally, um, I was working in construction at the time, and I was I'd run and to CJVI on my lunch hour and, and lay down a bunch of stuff and and uh, do some comedy bits after work and stuff like that. And that was kind of like my first kind of foray into doing voice work. But then I, I was still really focusing on uh, wanting to be an on-camera actor. And, and I did do that for a while. I, I moved to Vancouver and 
I worked in that. And then I met who you'll probably know, the the legendary Scott McNeil. And and um, him and I ended up being really good friends. We were with the same agent and we were hanging out and stuff. And then he was the one that said to me, uh, you know, are you, are you doing any voice work? And I still had real no clue what that was all about. And then he told me that he just uh, worked on He-Man and uh, it was a blast. And, it, you know, it, um, it was it was a great <clears throat> I, I, it was like theater, you know, behind the microphone. And um, he told me about Sue Blue and that she was going to be doing a workshop in Vancouver and that I should probably take it. So I did. I went on his advice, took it. Um, I got along with her really well during, during the, uh, the weekend class that she did. She did a workshop over the weekend. And um, then weirdly, I think it was like only maybe a couple of months later, she was in town casting for G.I. Joe. And um, I went in and she remembered me from the class. She went, hey, I remember you. And she's really awesome that way. Like really, really an amazing person. And um, as it would turn out, I got cast as um, Sergeant Savage on G.I. Joe. And then shortly after that, um, in a chance meeting with some producers at my agent's office, um, I, I ended up scoring the voice of Leonardo and the Ninja Turtles in uh, the next mutation. So so then um, that's kind of how I got into voiceover. My brothers and I, when I was when I was a kid, I, I wanted a cassette player. And my dad, he, he was awesome. He worked overtime so that he could afford to get me a cassette player. And my brothers would and I would like take comic books and and do these uh, little vignettes that we take from various story bites from comics, and we do all the voices from us. Having no idea that people actually did something very similar to that for a living. But so I, I guess it was lurking around in the DNA somewhere. And I was kind of destined to end up doing what I'm doing now. And, and I and I love it. I was just been very, very fortunate. And that was an extremely long explanation <laughs> for your question. But but that's how I got into it. Yeah. Now, does it feel weird like having two brothers who are also big into voiceover? Like they, you know, you're you're the legendary Dobson brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, you know, it's it's cool because I came over to Vancouver um, first. They were still on the island, and um, and then my brother Paul came over and he moved out here. And then, of course, I introduced him to Scott, and he, and uh, they got along like a house on fire, and and. Uh, and he was like, "Where did you get your brother in there?" And then it was a similar thing for my uh, youngest brother. Brian came over. It was it was kind of like social gathering. Get Brian in there, introduce him to a bunch of people, and then it, um, you know, same as me, they were they were fortunate to get in on on uh, casting calls to go audition for various parts, and and uh, you know, they they all got into it as well. It, it was a cool time in Vancouver because it was. It was new to hear, other than what people in radio, people like David Kay, and, um, for example, who'd been working at C-Fox, um, not C-Fox, um, yeah, C-Fox, um, here, here in Vancouver at the time, and he was doing a lot of radio stuff. Um, but, you know, when it came to voiceover, the, the voiceover artists that were working were also working in radio, and they were doing um, radio commercials and, and things like that, you know, so... Um, but for animation and video games and all that stuff, we were kind of on the frontier front, if you will, like here in Vancouver, that industry was just getting its stride going and, and, 
And so we were really fortunate to just be there at the right time. So there was lots of opportunity for for new people, you know, to to get in get into that area of work. So yeah, it was funny because my brother was out here. He, he, I mean, it took me, you know, uh, a, a quite a while to eventually get my you know be working full time in 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 voiceover but my brother was Brian was only out here for like 3 months and he's like oh man this is so hard i'll never get in and then the, the first the first gig he gets is skeletor <laughs> we're like what, what the, man that's crazy so what a great way to to come out of the gate with a big character like that and, and he killed it you know he did such a great job with skeletor so so yeah and then the rest as they say, it's kind of history. We're, we've just been really fortunate to, to have got into the business when we did. And, um, and it's been a good ride so far. It's funny you mentioned Skeletor because while I was doing my research, I noticed that three of you have played iconic villains. You were Starscream, Brian was Skeletor and Paul was Dr. Doom. (laughs) Yeah. Paul, again, like his Dr. Doom was so cool. And, um, I remember when he got that. I just, just, I just, it was just uh, a pretty exciting time, that's for sure. You know, to um, to um, bring life to like what you were saying these these iconic characters to be part of um, that 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 series is just just amazing. It was and great people again to work with. Marvel was just um, always open to to um, to whatever creative input you might have, and 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 uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, like it's been it's been fun, man. We've been very fortunate, that's for sure. When you got the role of Starscream, did you go back and listen to to Lada's take, or did or did they want their own thing? They wanted their own thing. It was, um, yeah, I, I, it, it was it was funny too because um, I I really when I got the role, it was it was kind of like ah oh, man, these are like you know Chris Lada um, is is they were big shoes to fill. You know what I mean? Um, so I was fortunate that the storyline was something like a hundred million years before Chris Lott, like G1. Um, so it was a different incarnation of, 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 of Starscream. So I, I did have the creative license to kind of um, veer away from, from what Chris Lott did. And, and, it, and, and it, you know, and in a lot of ways when I first did it and when it first came out, um, it I a lot of I was like so excited to see the feedback on the internet, <laughs> but when I went on there, it was like oh, people were hating what I was doing with it and just saying you know Chris Lada and it's like well I'm, I'm you know I, I get that I'm I'm not trying to do Chris Lada or something and so it was difficult for a lot of G one fans and and I and I know exactly how that feels you know um, the, the fans wanted the Chris Lada star screen they didn't want what I was doing. So, but like they say, time heals all wounds. So it's, it's been fortunate. Now, when I go on the internet and I look at stuff, there's there's a lot of really really nice kind words out there about what I did with Starscream. So, so um, th- that's wonderful to see that now. But I completely understood the the kickback in, uh, in the beginning, and and you know as to um, how I was interpreting the the character and uh, you know my performance in that series. So. But um, yeah, now I'm I'm super proud to have been part of it. It, it um, it's um, you know, the people that were seeing that for the first time, that became in essence kind of their G one. You know, um, it's it's funny you mentioned like fan perception because I was looking up 
you know, stuff related to Armada Starscream for this interview. And it's kind of funny looking back at the original comments versus like comments from five or six years ago where right. it's completely different. Like for, yeah. you know, I remember when the first, when the show first came out, everyone was like, ah, oh, this is terrible. Why are they trying to buy shredded? <laughs> yeah. Like why is everything has to have to be like anime? Like it came out during that 2000s period where everything was let, where anime was huge and every, every show tried to be anime and, and people were yeah. like, uh, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's true. I know. But now when you look back at it, 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 it looks it looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, he is part of the canon now. I, I mean, people look back on his arc and, and they're like, you know, the, we like this incarnation of Starscream because he wasn't a traitor. He did not have a side. He did work with the Autobots for a while and yeah. he did the right thing at the end. Now, you know, when we get to Energon and Cybertron, that's when it goes down the, the crapper. But to me, like, <laughs> you know, Armada Starscream is great. Cybertron and Energon, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. Because I, I look, I when I had Matt Hill on when and we talked about Energon, I'm like, man, you know, Energon was that show that really made me hate Matt Hill as an actor because I just hated his iron height so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And that's like the nicest guy on the planet. I know, and I'm like, stop making me hate him, please. He's a, he's a great guy. Stop making me hate he's him. He's a great guy. Yeah. Him and I first met on uh, on GI Joe. He played Metalhead. Oh yeah, yeah. He was also he was also Metalhead, and uh, you guys also worked on My Little Pony together. I mean, not not together in a scene, but you were in that show because I made yeah. I, I made a joke about I interviewed someone else who was on My Little Pony, and I said like. You know, you guys must be so thankful for that show because it kept like every Canadian voice actor employed for like nine years. <laughs> it made sure. I know, it ran a long time. That's the wonderful thing about kids' series, you know, like young children's shows. Um, a, a lot of times, like I, I worked on Naughty, which is uh, out of the UK, and I, I played this character called Big Ears. And, and I think we did somewhere in the region of like 110, 115 episodes. It was like, woohoo, it's Mardi Gras. <laughs> those, those shows can run forever, which is, which is great. Yeah. And like, how did you take to dubbing? Because I know that because whenever I ask people, like some people say they take to dubbing easily. Some others find it hard. Like, how, but how did you find it? The very, my, my first introduction to it, um, was live action and it was um productions for nhk in japan and um and i i guess again there wasn't a lot of people doing that in vancouver and they were hoping to kind of put a stable of us together that could go in there and just you know bang this stuff off um it was hard in the beginning um you know because you got the three beeps in in the headphones and, and then like on the fourth imaginary beep you go on there's time codes and stuff like that and in the beginning it all seems kind of overwhelming a little confusing and and at the time too you know there was certain and not, not not all of them but some some of the people that were directing were very dry you know so and they weren't used to working with actors really so it was a uh, it was um you know as as a director you really need to be able to 
speak the language of, of you know to actors that they understand and, and you know and one of the biggest things of course is you know you want your performance when they come in to be relaxed and it's hard to relax when you can see people are getting annoyed with you so <laughs> in the beginning it was a little bit of a tough go for me but then one day just the the coin dropped and um and and I think it was like kudos to Ocean because um when I went when I got called in to do animation with them, it was a completely different environment. They were used to working with actors. They understood, you know, um, kind of the fact that we needed to have that um, relationship where, where we didn't feel like we were just kind of, you know, the spotlights on you and they're like, go! Um, sort of digital acting, I call it. But um, the people at Ocean are just so amazing. It's such wonderful people to work with. and And so... When we went in, it was it, it, they were kind of like, hey, that's okay, you know, you'll get it, and blah blah blah. And eventually, the coin dropped, and you kind of develop your own process where you look at the page, you, you see the time code, and then you look for the next time code when the next character speaks, or if there's a sound effects cue, and you can see right away how much time you have just doing the math in your head. You know, you look at it and go, oh, okay, I got three seconds to say this, or oh, okay, this one, I got like twelve seconds. It's just this massive. <laughs> real estate to explore so i'm gonna have to slow this one down and then the other thing is too you also especially with anime there's a certain rhythm to it and and it runs through pretty well all the productions so you, you get pretty used to uh you know when you've got rapid fire dialogue and other times where you know you, you're gonna have to slow it back and then maybe cheated a bit with um with like life sounds as you like to call it you know the hmms and ha's and you know <laughs> maybe maybe kind of stammer on a word and things things like that you start to learn tricks of the trade and and it, and then it, it it becomes one of these things where your cues there and like bam you did that one first take bam you did the next one for and you can just run with it cue after cue you know um you do after it's it's a de- an acquired and developed skill but it's a lot of fun when you when you get to that point cuz um you can just get in there and and just have a lot more fun with you know in this in the session where, where like i say in the beginning as a novice it can be pretty overwhelming for anyone going in for the first time for sure but i think it's a good way to cut your teeth into the business because it teaches you how to create character in a short amount of time yes that's that's why um i used to teach um i still coach but um but one one of the greatest assets i think to have a skill set as a performer is is i always say you know if you got a if you got a background in theater i think that's the strongest foundation you could possibly have as, as an actor. Um, but um, if you haven't um, taken any formal training in, in that discipline, then I, I always say to people, you know, to get out of your head and be able to, like what you were saying, just be able to pull stuff out of the ether, um, take an improvisational course, because it'll get you out of your head. It'll get you relaxed and it'll get you to trust your instincts. And that's, that's so important as a performer to be able to do that because that's part of the process when you're auditioning too, because a lot of times you can go in and on the the page, you'll ask for the character a certain way. Um, but sometimes, you know, during that process, directors and producers will suddenly realize, you know, if it's not something that's got a, you know, sealed in stone canon, like what, you know, the Marvel series and things like that, but new, new stuff. Um, when you, when you go in, sometimes they'll, they'll discover that, you know, the way that, they have the character described on the page is leading everybody in the wrong direction and or that it's not working. You know, all of a sudden it's kind of like, mm. 
I think we need to explore some new territory. So that can get thrown at you during the audition. It's like, okay, what else have you got? Like just randomly, um, you know, anything you'd like to try to do? And they're searching, right? They're hoping that you're going to be able to pull something out where they go, yes, that's what we're looking for. So, you know, you know that's how you save an audition. Because if you don't have that skill set, when you can feel your audition slipping away from you, if you can't pull something out of the hat to bring them back in again, you know, it's, you, you, we walk out of the room and then those are the drives home where you sit in and go, why didn't I do the, oh, great. I'm having that idea now. Fantastic. Couldn't come up with it in the studio though. Could you <laughs> just like beating yourself up all the way home? Just good. Maybe I should call him. It's like, those are all the kind of rookie things in the beginning with that, uh, you know, you go through as, as an actor, chewing it over, chewing that whole 10 minute, 15 minute audition over in your head, time, time, and torturing yourself with it for days. <laughs> it can be brutal. Now, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember when I interviewed Matt, he talked about auditioning for Ed, Ed and Eddie, and they were having a hard time trying to find uh, Ed's voice. And he just randomly just tapped on, on the microphone and said, um, how do you get water from this thing? And Danny, like when he heard that, Danny was like, that's Ed. That's the character. And if he had not done that, then he would have not gotten that role. So, That's right. Yeah, there you go. It's Yeah, you just never know, man. You just got to, um, you know, the biggest thing is, I always used to say this to everybody, you know, when I taught, I used to say, what's the one thing that separates you from everybody else in this room? And it's like, you know, it's your individuality. It's your life experiences, you know, nobody can duplicate that and so i always call those uh drivers if you will you know those are your that's your set of drivers and you need to draw on those all the time and 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 uh, you know that all those life experiences you know different people that you've met along the way you know those characters that that you haven't given names to per se uh you know when you tell stories and you just all automatically just start doing this voice or you know, you're telling a story about something that you saw downtown or something like this and how you just, you know, just <laughs> naturally just do a voice and do it. I said, you know, it's your job now to to start um, making a list and giving those characters that you do names and stuff like that. So that it becomes part of your part, part of your um, what do you call it, um, you know, uh, just like your catalog of voices so that you've got all those things. And then. You you can mix them together and create hybrids and create even new voice voices, right? So that's what your job becomes working as a voice actor is, is to is to like like what Matt did in in, in the thing. He just he, he just pulled one of his characters and unabashedly just kind of threw it out there, and he ended up being on Ed and Nitty. That's that's so cool. I love that. But funny enough, I never heard that story before till you just told me. That's a cool story. I like it. No, I mean, when I heard that, I'm like, holy crap. Like, there, he was, like, this close to losing the role that made him a superstar. That's crazy to me. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah, you just got to throw yourself out there. I, I think, like, um, what I was saying before about theater, why it's such a it, a, a good foundation for any performer. It's just before that, like, the very first thing that you learn as a theater exercise is trust exercises. And, and they what they want to do is get you out of your head and just be you, you know, and, and, um, and because that's what everybody's looking for is, is like, what do you bring to the party? 
and and it's and it's weird because <clears throat> all of us with our life experiences you know when you go through school and stuff like that you know um not for everybody but i know for me personally you know we moved a lot so i was always the new kid and being a new kid is 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 not fun <laughs> when you're, you're coming up near the end of a semester or, or coming in the middle of a semester you know the the teachers aren't particularly happy that you got this kid that's got to catch up and stuff like this and and so you know you really kind of learn to to try and survive and keep your head down and and not draw attention to yourself so um you know getting into something like this where it's like okay now you need to be yourself and get up you know that can be a hard exercise for some people depending on what you know their life experience is so that's why you do all these trust exercises in theater in the beginning is is to give you that permission to where it's like it's okay man like like just just be you just do you because because um that's that's brilliant you know and and you get and it, and it's cool because you learn in performing arts that failure is something that's embraced because people celebrate you because they know that that you know if that was an honest attempt on your part, it may not be what they're looking for, but you'll always be applauded for, for, for doing that, for putting yourself out there and, and uh, taking that leap of faith. Um, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's one of the, one of the cool things about what we do is, is that um, when you, when you experience that and go to go, Oh, that's cool. You know, um, I got I got something valid here, <laughs> and people are like yeah, bring it up, man. And and at least you put a stake in the ground somewhere. That's what I always say to people when you go into an audition. It's uh, sometimes we forget as performers that it is our job to come in with ideas. You know, the worst thing that you can do when you go into an audition is is look through that glass at the people on the other side and say, uh, you know, when they ask the question, so uh, do you have any questions about the character? The worst thing you do is throw it back to them and say, um, yeah, I was just wondering, like, how do these guys see this guy and blah, blah, blah. Right away, they're thinking, like, ah, that's your job, man. <laughs> like, you're supposed to come in with ideas and throw it at us. And so when you discover that, that your job is to go in there and explore and, and actually go, well, you know what? I'm just going to throw something at you and see where we go from there. And right away, you just see the faces light up on the other side. And they're like, oh, awesome. Okay, what do you got? And then, you know, you have this creative process where – you're not feeling like this performer that's just got this microscope on you and is like dance monkey dance. It, it, instead, what you now have created is is a creative relationship, albeit for only ten or fifteen minutes. But but now you guys are dialoguing back and forth, and it becomes a produ- a productive session. It doesn't always guarantee that you'll get the part, but they'll they'll remember you for sure. And a lot of times, what can happen is you'll be auditioning for something and then just as you you think the audition's over they're like hey man can you hang on for like two or three minutes you're just gonna run a, a a script into you it's another character we're looking at and what you did for so-and-so so-and-so we think it might work for this other character and so somebody runs in puts a script in funny and it's just like the matt hill story right you just you see this and you're like oh, okay and you do that with that and then they're like that's oh, awesome next minute you get the call you know, you know, you got a character that you weren't even prepared or didn't even know you were going to audition for. And it's just like all of a sudden it just dropped out of there and there it is. It's like it's uh, you just never know, you know, with uh, in those those moments. But don't ever keep it to yourself, man. If you got if you got an idea about something, throw it out there. 
So yeah, um, I also want to mention that you know another one of my favorite stories is you know David Kay's story of how he came up with Beast Wars Megatron's voice, where he looked at the character, he's like, okay, he's a giant T Rex, and people would assume he would have this like deep booming voice, but it didn't go that direction. He's like, okay. What if he was like Regal? What if he was a mix between like Sean Connery and a lizard? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sean Connery, Patrick Stewart, and a lizard. That's how he describes it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, well, awesome. Yeah, right. Because it's it's great not to play type. It's it's great sometimes to just kind of go. What about this? You know, turn it to, just um, make it more abstract. Make it um, more out of left field. You know, it's just it's a. It, give people what they're not going to expect um and, and yeah and, and and as we all know um that character is awesome that david did uh, that was you know that's um one one of one of the characters that um he's really well known for you know because he did such an awesome job but that character was so good it's it's so weird looking back at that series and realizing oh man he had not done a lot of work before that and and that's like you know, you listen to him and you're like, oh my goodness, like this dude, like he, he was impossible to ignore even back in, back in the day. I'm like, you know, this guy, this guy's just incredible, just an incredible actor. And of course he, you know, he blew up and of course he's like one of the biggest legends in the voiceover industry now because he's just that good. I mean, it's and not, his ability, I mean, it's not, it's not his ability to just do voices he can act. He's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and man, that, that his work ethic is second to none. He's he. You're talking about somebody just who worked so hard at his craft, twenty four seven. Like when we first met one another, he was doing live theater. He was doing you know radio. He was like he's a busy guy. <laughs> it's like he just really put his um, you know, nose to the grindstone and, and just, um, uh, just worked and worked and worked and worked tirelessly. He just, just, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, like they say, you know, good fortune is the residual of hard work, you know, and, and it's definitely David, you could say that of him. He, he works incredibly hard at everything he does. And, and, uh, you're right. He's, he's, he's legendary out there. He's, he's a re- really solid actor. Yeah, he's a good guy too. Yeah, no, he's great. I've had him on like years ago and I'm, you know, like <laughs> I, it was hard for me not to fanboy so much in, in that interview because I'm like, <laughs> you're Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, but it's it's fun looking back at those shows you guys did and realizing, man, you know, the Vancouver scene was so good back then. You had like so many great people working on these shows and I miss that. I really do. Well, we do too, because, you know, I, and one, one of my fun memories I, is uh, Andrew Cavadas, who, um, an, an actor here in Vancouver too. And, and it was just like, we all lived within, you know, 15, 20 minutes of each other. And, and uh, we're all such really close friends. And uh, the reason why I brought up Andrew was because, you know, we're, we're all young aspiring actors and, and we knew we had something really special with, uh, with this voiceover group. 
And but Andrew, he could always be found. He had, always had this cool hat on, and he and he carried his trumpet around everywhere with him. <laughs> he like, playing his trumpet outside in the park and stuff in the summer. And and I was just thinking, just like what an amazing like time in my life this is to be surrounded by all these incredibly talented people, you know, that had all these other things going on outside of just the voiceover, you know, they're, you know, they're putting music projects together, playing, you know, with bands and, and I had theatrical performances going on, you know, all these different things. And, and it just seemed like we had this amazing life of just, uh, you know, friends that were photographers and, painters and you know it, it really was like what you were saying like an incredible time because we're all at the same place in our in our lives you know um and like i say we get um we all meet downtown vancouver i don't know if you've ever been to vancouver but it's a beautiful city and um we're only minutes away from english bay and the beach and stuff like that. So when we weren't working, we were hanging out and, you know, meeting in little cafes and talking and laughing. And, you know, we'd meet up in groups and uh, writing scripts together and trying to launch projects and things like that. So it was, it was a, <laughs> it was an incredible time for sure. We were really fortunate to have been a part of that. I and mean, I think subliminally we all knew that, um, that, you know, this, we, we were the first gen of these voiceover artists in 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 the city and how fortunate we were to be in that position you know and and, and we're a lot of us were still doing on camera stuff back then too so we see you know so we we were really enjoying a great mix of everything it, it was a fun time a really 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 extraordinary time for sure yeah i mean and it's and it's kind of sad that a lot of people just took it for granted i feel like you know, yeah. you guys don't get the uh, the love and appreciation. I think I feel like you deserve because, yeah, okay. You know, the Armada might might have iffy, you know, pr- things in its story, and the writing might not have aged well. But looking back at it, man, <laughs> it, it still holds up well, and I love the cast. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a a great group of people, and uh, and you know, we were all like. Um, like Lee Tokar, Doug Parker, um, you know, they, they, everybody was pushing to see it succeed. You know, um, there, there, there weren't any classes or anything at the time to, to learn about voiceover. Um, the, you know, so it was, um, we all knew that we needed more people to come into the fold because we didn't, we didn't want anybody externally like from Los Angeles and New York and, you know, the UK and Europe uh, to think that, Oh, well, we've used all the voice talent in Vancouver now. So now we're going to look for something else. So we really needed to put ourselves on the map and show that, you know, we're a growing thriving industry and Doug Parker and Lee Tokar at the time, um, they created Acme animation and, uh, they were writing projects and things like that. And uh, they were directing and casting and, and, and really trying to get behind the the business to put us on the world stage. So it, it was a really cool time just to watch your friends and colleagues, you know, do, be so passionate about something. And, and uh, you know, later I would um, get called to by the Vancouver film school. Um, they were interested in putting a voiceover program together and, um, I uh, went in and uh, picked the space and wrote the curriculum for for um, 
for the course to be taught there. And I taught it for five years. And then um, with various um, TAs that would come in, I taught them how to teach the program. And then eventually it kind of was up and running on its own. And, and uh, I would just guest speak there from time to time. But, but, um, but again, like a really exciting time because you're just seeing stuff, you know what I mean? Just incrementally, just, just a little bit more, a little bit more. And, and like, we were winning, man. And like, we were, we were building that foundation and we, we were really held back because in the beginning too, you know, we had, uh, I mean, <laughs> trying to go toe to toe with all the incredible talent in other places in the world. We had, we had to work really hard to prove that we were world-class performers as well, you know, not to tap ourselves on the back or anything, but what I, what I'm just trying to say is, you know, you, you can't get the work if you're subpar to everybody else. You know, we, we really worked hard to um, get noticed and be a viable um, source um, in the industry, you know, for the, for the voiceover world. And it's so wonderful to see it now because, you know, um, there's a lot of productions brought here and, and people now know that, uh, that uh, a, a lot of um, big productions have, have been produced here and directed here. And yeah, so it's, it's cool to see, to see the industry enjoy that, that growth, you know, and to know that we were kind of at the forefront of that is very cool. Yeah, no, I, like I said, um, I interviewed some people who worked on, uh, die, uh, the, the dragon quest, the new, the, you know, the, the 2020, uh, anime. And what was interesting about that series was it was dubbed in Canada and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm watching this because it's been forever since we've gotten the Canadian dub of any anime. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> yeah. And it's great. It's it's really good. And I'm like, a lot of people are sleeping on it. And I'm like, man, no, this is great. I mean, it's, oh, it takes me back to like the old uh, ocean dub of Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was fun when we worked on that, too. It was a, it was a shredder, though. I know that you talked to Brian, Brian Drummond. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's why I bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There were some times where I'd be driving home after a, a, a Dragon Ball um, session, and I literally felt like I had damaged my brain because it's you know when you push like that, all that blood rushes to your head, right? So you're just driving home, and, it, and you've got this like perma brain freeze from the session. <laughs> And you just go, please, please make my brain stop hurting. It was hard. Oh yeah, because um, during those sessions, uh, as you know, some 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 of the power you got that, then and you tear stuff apart, and then and you do that, and you, you might have that going on for well over sixty seconds, and you're just exhausted. And like I was saying, like your your brain's just throbbing. And then they're like, uh, that was great. Um, because you gotta remember too, we weren't hundred percent digital at that time. There was um they were still running um um dat backup tapes and and stuff like that. So when we were recording it, um the system that they had, um you couldn't really shift stuff around that you can now, right? There's different software and stuff for ADR that you can fill in gaps and you can stretch things a little bit or something. But back back then, if you missed a few frames of something, <laughs> you're gonna have to you'd be like, okay, just catch your breath, but we're gonna have to do that again. And you're like, no. <laughs> so you, 
you could be you could sometimes have to do it like three or four times you know and it's just like whoo that's a workout man that is a huge workout you just come out of those sessions just drenched from all the energy that you had to put out for a dragon ball session they were fun but they were killer man they just spread you a lot of times if you knew you had um a, a session on another show if if you could move it you would you, you would try with your agents like is there any way I, I can do the dragon ball after you know can, can we reschedule the color because because i don't know if i'm gonna have any voice left by the end of this. and you do learn to you know not go full bore 100 percent. like you, you, you can't because you, you probably blow your voice out the first pass so i mean you are holding back but then you know there's there's only so many times that you can do that without it starting to take a toll, you know, <laughs> they're shredder sessions. Yeah, no, I remember when I talked to um, Brian, like it was like the way he described it, it was literally the wild, wild west where, yeah. you know, like they were just writing scripts on the fly for God's sakes. And, and sometimes they didn't even yeah. know that if the translation was right or not. Like, whatever, yeah. it's good enough. It matches the lip flaps. <laughs> it's true. Like, a lot of times the rewrites were happening as as you were doing it. It was kind of like you get to a section of, like, just hang on for a sec. Uh, this is overwritten. Or, or um, let's listen to the 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 OJ, which is the original Japanese. And um, they they would listen to it back to see what that translates to and yeah, oh yeah, all the things that that Brian w- was telling me was going on at the time. It literally was like the Wild West of ADR. It was, and it, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun though, killer but fun. And it's funny, like he even mentions it in the interview. He's like, you know, it's funny that the line I'm known for is a mistranslation. <laughs> is it? I didn't know that. It's actually eight thousand, not nine thousand. <laughs> Who wins an extra thousand? <laughs> Just throw it in there. It's bigger than eight thousand. This one goes to nine thousand, baby. <laughs> so, like every so every person who ever told him like it, it, the line read was weird. Like how he why he held it on for long. He's like, no, it, I did that because that it matches it matched the lip flaps. And if you're not unhappy with it, then. Just tell yourself it's a mistranslation. So why are you upset about it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, that's 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 what makes me laugh. It's like the one thing you're known for is just a mis misquote. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I know that now. I I didn't know that story. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 fun looking back at that era and just realizing like how crazy it was and i remember i remember listening to ian in 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 james corlett at a panel talking about when he did goku and he was told like oh you got to do the screams he's like no i'm not doing it you know get the japanese guy to do it i'm not doing it and uh you know that's why he did not last long as goku because he just did not want to do those screams and i don't blame him i really don't (laughs) It's cool talking to you, man. Because a lot of these, I mean, we've known each other for such a long time, and and uh, I, again, that's another story. I I didn't know that about Ian either. That's yeah, no, and I, and I like that. I don't blame him when I'm listening to that because it's like, yeah, I'm not. I'm getting paid next to nothing for this. I'm already writing the scripts. 
already did my lines. I don't want to do the, the screams, but they're like, oh, no, you got to do it. And he's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, like, it's 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 a fun era to look back on. But like the behind the scenes stuff for me is just really fascinating. I'm like, I really want a behind the scenes documentary about the making of of all these shows because I feel like there's just so much stuff that happened that it's just so just so crazy that you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it but it's like oh no it really happened <laughs> yeah and, and and you know ocean has kept everything from from back then their archives um are they've just got so many sound bites of things that we've did in the studio that just you know were hilarious you know where we've just made up something that fit the flaps just perfectly and they've got all these blooper reels of of things you know over the decades that we've all done in the studio and it'd be really fun to for somebody to dig those out of the archives too and and uh i know that um uh, richard epcard he he did that at one of the cons that um that i attended and him and i uh, became really good friends over the years and um and he put together a dub like that of, of all the kind of blooper stuff. And and I remember everybody at the convention just, you know, him saying, you know, tonight I'm going to blah, 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 put this uh, blooper reel together and you're welcome to come. And a ton of people showed up. And it was just so funny, man, just going from clip to clip to clip. And Ocean has got a ton of that stuff, too. It would be fun if they did something similar at one time or another. Just even just to kind of like what you said, kind of celebrate the era of that time. That would be very cool. Yeah, because a lot of people love the the ocean era, and like I know, again, I don't want to open up this can of worms of like which mm-hmm. dub was better. I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to no. go that route. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I will say this, like you know, I the ocean dub does have its fans, and I'm not mm-hmm. knocking them for it, but I'm just saying like. You know, I feel like, you know, as someone who is obsessed with behind the scenes stuff and and lost media and all that stuff, I'm like, hey, you know, wh- why not? Like, why not put out a couple of blooper reels? Like, who cares at this point? You know, the show's be been fun. over <laughs> for decades. <laughs> yeah, now. for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> we've moved on. We've moved on. Yeah, I mean, got there. I mean, I would actually kill for bloopers of the Transformers stuff you guys did. <laughs> that that that'd be the holy grail for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, there's like uh, so so many um, amazing people worked worked on that series. Yeah, from back in those days, very very cool. Yeah, that would that would be a good one to to hear for sure. Um, I also want to know, like, do you watch any of your own stuff, or is it? Just, are are you just one of those people who's like, I can't stand listening to myself talk? <laughs> it's not that I can't stand listening to myself. Like, I mean, I I think um I think it's always good to revisit stuff just to because it, um, but you know, you always tend to watch it clinically. You're uh, you you kind of adjudicating it as you're watching it. You're listening and kind of going ah. Was that good? But I, I think you do a lot of that in the beginning with your career. It's good to kind of see what works and what's not working. But now I, I can honestly say that I can, I can just relax and just and just watch it now, and uh, take it for for what it is. And 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 I'm not focusing on it from my perspective or through my lens now. When I watch stuff, 
I look at the show just as if I would be just anyone else watching the show. And, and, you know, it's always exciting when you watch something that you are a part of and you go, Hey man, that, that was really well done. And, you know, everybody did a great job on it. And, and uh, it's, it's nice from that perspective to revisit things that you've worked on um, because uh, like what you were saying, there's so many people involved, you know, we're just a, a, a very small facet of the whole, the, the whole production you know this, this is like what you were saying like you know everything from audio engineers to editing to you know um the animators um the the producers you know the writers the, the you know all the people that that work behind behind the scenes as well that to put these things together that it's it's, it's just extraordinary the amount of work that goes into any given production so so it's great when you see it all come together and you just go, wow, man, like everybody just knocked it out of the ballpark. That's cool. And so, yeah, that, that's a good feeling. That's a really good feeling when you, when you know that um, you created something that everybody's enjoying and you, you're looking on the internet and it's like the reviews are great and it's, it's cool. And then, of course, the other good feeling, is hopefully it goes for another season, right? There's <laughs> always that too. It's kind of like, am I still going to be employed? <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, like um, Ninjago, for example. Look how long that's been running. Oh man, yeah, Ninjago. That's another one that that's been going on since God, late two thousands, early twenty yeah. tens. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, anymore. yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think it's like fourteen or fifteen years now, something like that. Crazy. Uh, and they kept the same cast, which is crazy to me as well. It's like. Good on you. Know. You know, you could have easily switched the cast or went 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 over to L.A. or New York, but no, you, you kept the same cast, and I'm kind of really impressed by that, honestly. Yeah, that that's that's a really nice feeling too when uh, when they do do that um, when they keep keep everybody when they don't suddenly just go well we're gonna pull it now and recast and thanks thanks for helping us get the show started and. Now we're going to get real actors to work. <laughs> it's like, but, 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 yeah, that, that, that always hurts. That one. <laughs> like, I mean, well, we could have done it. Yeah, but you're not named. Uh-huh. What were you going to say? No, I mean, they did do that for the Ninjago movie, but no one remembers the Ninjago yeah. movie. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's, it's funny because I remember way, way back when, when uh, Brad Pitt did Sinbad. And um, and they were interviewing him and talking to it, and and it was great because he he looked at the camera and he goes, they they said, did you have fun working on this? He goes, you know what? He said, I'll be honest, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to work on, and and he he named all the things that that you know people that like us voice voice artists that work in the medium all the time. Um, you suddenly realize that you you don't have props, or you don't have costumes sometimes. Sometimes you don't even have other actors to to work off. Um, you've got to create all those moments and play it in real time in your head, and you have to also bring it off the page so that these characters come to life. And if you don't understand that process, um, what you end up getting is something that's really flat. Kind of, you know, none of, none of the characters seem to have a soul. You know, if you will, like they don't seem to be living breathing thinking um individuals and as a when you're when you're in there you also have to remember the microphone is is even more intimate than the camera in a lot of ways because um it's it's the way 
you know, if if you're like, it's one of these things I always used to say is like, we all resonate with one another in a certain way. And if you're feeling like you're being lied to or somebody's not necessarily being sincere or all there, um, whether it's subconscious or consciously, you kind of tune out, you know, you just, uh, you're not going to pull people in. So when you're there behind the microphone, because, you know, a lot of people, sometimes they hear your voice after and they go, yeah, but uh, do you do any real acting? Like, uh, if you understood what we do, you know that it's real acting um, with a lot less stuff going on. So you can't, you can't, um, you know, frown at the microphone and expect everybody to know what's going on. I mean, yeah, you can see it in the animated thing, but, but if, if the voice is saying one thing and, and the animated character is, it's saying something else that it's not going to work that, you know, it's uh, people, people aren't fooled by stuff like that. You, you've got to be rooted and you've got to deliver that essence of that performance into that microphone. And, and you'll, you know, that's like what, what all directors tell you, you know, we'll say to you or people that coach and stuff is like, bring the words off the page. Cause on the, on the script is, it's just words, but people don't speak that way people don't speak verbatim people when they're um, not sure about something they might stammer on something and that's not on the script you won't see that in the wording um, you got to put all that stuff in so yeah it's it's definitely acting you know so so it it is a lot of work um, if you're doing it right you, you'll be exhausted by the end of you know your session and sometimes you know well a lot of times uh, you may have like two or three sessions in a day and like I always say, is when you walk in that room, if it's a different session, a different production, you can't walk in there and go, I'm really sorry, guys. I'm just really beat. You know, my, the session I had this morning just really put, took the life out of me. He's like, well, you can't say that because these guys want you fresh. They're paying you the same money as the other people just paid you. So you don't get to make that excuse. So you've got to go in there as if like this is the first thing that you're doing even if it's the second or third thing that you're doing in the day, you know, you gotta, you gotta be there on your a game for everything that you do. And you also have to learn how to be a utility actor. Cause sometimes they might bring you in for like one role, but sometimes they, they'll ask you, Hey, you know, can you stick around to do some incidentals? Sure. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you won't know what those are until they throw them at you. And so you'll just like what we were saying, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, when we were talking about, you know, being able to just have stuff, look at, look at the character description or if they have an illustration of that character or, you know, or, or they're going to describe it to you, you immediately go, how about this? Or how about this? And then, yeah, yeah, it's good. And boom, there you are. You're doing it. And you're reading the lines for the, for the first time. But, you know, that's, that's your job. That's, that's, that's what is expected of us when, when we go in, you know, you just, uh, you just always ready to go whatever they somebody throws in front of you boom you just do it and um yeah i mean obviously you get better at that with experience and time but but uh, that is that's what's expected of you when you go in the studio yeah you can't you can't just go in there and half ass it you you, you can't you just no. have to go in there and give the best performance that you can sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but the important thing is you gave it your all and if you didn't then well you know that's on you honestly it's true. And, you know, through experience, you find yourself doing that, too. Sometimes, you know, you you go in for something that you really want, a big audition, and you 
you have to be honest with yourself. <clears throat> you, you just go out there and go, you know, because I've had this conversation with my agent a few times where you're saying, you know what, if I don't get it, um, it's not for a lack of trying or for anything I uh, um, didn't do in the studio because that went as good as it possibly could. I gave it my best. And if I don't get cast for this, then I guess, guess I just not the guy for that job, you know, and that's it. That's it. You can't take that personally because, you know, again, it gets back to that individuality thing. You know, this other person had their other thing. And I, I did a great performance, but it just wasn't right for that project. So, you know, yeah. It, and, and I mean, that that's across the board, whether, you know, whatever facet of the industry that you, you work in, or even, you know, how famous you might be, you know, you, a lot of A-list actors that have those stories, you know, they thought they had the role right up until, you know, all of a sudden they find out that, you know, they're a weekend shooting with somebody else sometimes, you know, it's like, what? But, but, but it's like, yeah, it's just the business. It's, it could be that way. It's uh but you can't beat yourself up about it. You can't go into a spiral over something like that. It's just, uh, it's, it's like you have to just say to yourself, no, it's, it's not because I suck. It's just that, you know, I just wasn't right for that. And you can't be right for everything. So, so, um, yeah, it's, you have to be a little bit thick skinned <laughs> to work in this industry for sure. Cause you know, you, you're constantly throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it'll stick. And, um, and, uh, but in the same token, I think that's what makes it so exciting too. It's, it's, um, I think, you know, we're, you talk to a lot of people that work in this industry and, and, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. It's, it's just like, it's, it's like, um, I'm just not the kind of person who could do the same thing every day. You know what I mean? Just, uh, I think it would just drive me a little bit crazy. I'm just not wired that way. I, 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 I remember first doing it and people saying to me, but, you know, you don't know if you even have a job the following week, right? And it's like, that's right. And they go, how do you sleep at night? How do you do that? And you go, well, I just kind of have faith that, you know, everything will, everything will work out. It's, it's, it's good. But, you know, just the, you know, some, some people prefer that security and, and I totally get it. It makes sense to think that way, but, but, um, but so far it's, it's worked out, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's fun to always be doing something. You know, I, I know it's all acting and stuff like that, but each, each project is, a, is a little different, different story, different, different, um, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's in constant change. You're always, and you're learning stuff. That's what the other thing I love about it. Each project, a lot of times you end up going down this rabbit hole where it's like, oh, I haven't even heard about this one. You're looking up stuff and you go, oh, it's really cool. And then you realize like a lot of the stuff that you thought might be fiction in the script is actually based on real things, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting. That whole kind of exploration thing. I always think that people that um, do this kind of work, if it was hundreds and hundreds of years back in the past, they have that kind of fascination with, you know, what's out there. Yeah. Um, I'm still, he's falling asleep. He's like, no, no, no. I, I, you know, like this is your, you know, you, you know, I, I, I am just an observer, my friend. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening because I'm, I'm enthralled by you. Know, you're such a fascinating guy. I had no idea. Oh, that's kind of you to say so, man. <laughs> Thanks. I was, you kind of worried too. You said like, oh, I have to was like, why the hell did I pick? 
this guy. Had to talk to. <laughs> no, I of all like, the people I could have talked to today, I had to pick Dobson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you you weren't Skeletor. I wanted Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny. Yeah. No, but but I mean, it's important to to you know know how to break down a character and understand and and empathize with that character and just like try to become that character for for an average session, which is like two or three hour four hour session, you know. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, like I was saying before, you know, um, and it, it, it like. It, that's why I say, you know, with theater and everything, it, it it teaches you all these things. You know, the most flawed of characters, you still they they still have to have some redeeming qualities of some of, of something in them, um, because you all whether it's the villain or the hero, hero, your audience has to care about those characters. If they don't care about them, and they're not and not interested in their story arc, and or they not buying whatever the performance is um get you know that that show's probably not going to last very while or or, or that character is probably not going to last for for very long you know it's people are just going to tune out and it's not working and and um probably get dropped from the show and somebody else may be playing i don't know but but yeah you always have to find something redeeming about any of the characters that you play yeah i mean there's always that hope on the part of the audience that there there might be that moment, you know, because I mean, a lot of times villains and shows are just are fun to watch. Right. I mean, I'm not talking obviously about, you know, like reservoir dogs or something like that level of villain. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is uh, the most enjoyable villains are, are, uh, you know, um, the, the ones that are kind of, um, imploding on themselves you know what i mean they they, they're constantly they think they're brilliant but they're but they're um constantly um what do you call it uh just being foiled by their own because they think they're brilliant you know they they're they're constantly um running into trouble of some kind you know what i mean like there's a struggle there all the time too it's like those darn you know those kind of fun character characters like that like the i think of the sheriff of nottingham from that really bad kevin costner film um <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> robert <laughs> remember <laughs> but alan rickman I mean, what a great villain he stole the show he was, he was the only reason why you would watch that movie <laughs> Um, you didn't like you didn't like Kevin Costner's horrible British accent. You didn't like that. <laughs> you know what was so funny was because at one point in the movie, it, there was that moment where I was watching him and I was going, and now he's just completely given up trying to do the accent. He's just doing what he wants to do. <laughs> Kudos to him. Maybe he shouldn't have tried from the beginning. And it just left it alone because even Dick Van Dyke had a better English accent than Mary Poppins. <laughs> At least that was comical. <laughs> I say what, what? <laughs> right there, yeah, 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 and all that. Well, well, it did. Yeah. 
No, but I mean, it's it's almost, I, I think to me, villains are great to play because you get to release pent, out, pent up frustration because it's <laughs> like, oh, I can be the bad guy and suffer no real life consequence. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're always, I love the kind of maniacal, always plotting kind of villain, you know what I mean? It's the, they're always fun to play. Because you know that, like Caroline was saying, is that, they're they're setting themselves up to fail. The audience can see it, but the villain doesn't. And it's kind of fun just to watch them trip over themselves, you know, at some point in the movie where, like I was saying, with Alan Rickman's Sheriff of Nottingham, you know, he, he always thought he had, like, the power over Robin Hood. But you knew Robin Hood was going to win eventually. But it's just fun just to try and, um, you know, with this that sort of delicious wickedness that Rickman was able to bring to that character. It made him really entertaining to watch, right? It was fun. I mean, and, and going back to, you know, Transformers real quick, I mean, talking about villains, I think what, what makes me like, you know, David Kaye's interpretation of Megatron is that he has a God complex. He thinks he's the greatest thing ever, but yeah. he's just so full of himself and you know, it's not going to work out because, you know, you know, he, he thinks he's one step ahead of the good guys, but you know, good guys always—they're go, uh, gonna always win because you know they're the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> the good guys, that's right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're they're fun roles to play. The villains are always, I you know, even when I was doing a lot more on camera stuff, um, I was always usually for my look cast as, as the bad guy. And if I was a good guy, it was a good guy with an edge, you know, it was um, never, never the, uh, the Dudley do right kind of uh, good guy. I would never get cast for something like that. So I, I had a lot of fun, even on camera playing villains, you know, it's, it was, yeah, they're, they're a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You mentioned, you know, on camera, cause like looking at pictures of you, I'm like, okay, this dude can either play a bad guy, a thug, or someone's weird uncle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. When my kids were were little, um, we were shooting. A, they they got cast in a commercial, and um, and it was uh, they still hadn't um, cast uh, the mom and dad yet. And I was one of the producers on it was a good buddy of mine. And he was the one that called me and said, "Hey." Would, we're doing the shoot and then I think your kids would be perfect for the commercial. Would, do you think they'd be interested in doing it? I went, Oh yeah. And they, and they did, they had a blast. But so I, I went to meet the director with, with our, with our kids and, um, and uh, he's got, yeah, it's fantastic. And everything else. And then my buddy, John, the producer's standing there and he goes, so he said, you know, he's a dad. So um, what about, what about just letting Mike play, you know, be in the commercial and he, he played the dad. And, and the director just went silent. He's just staring at me. And I looked at him and I went, are you uh, picturing me with a gun in my hand right now? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I just started laughing. I went, it's all right, man. I said, that's, those are the roles that I usually play. It's all good. <laughs> so they, you know, they, they, they went with a, you know, a non-intimidating, you know, dad for the shoot and the kids had a blast. But, but, um, that's what I was known for when I, when I was doing on camera stuff was edgy, 
kind of intense um, bad guys. And that's what I got cast a lot of time as. And I, and I was cool with that. I remember I was talking to um, this one actor I was working with on, um, I can't remember what show it was. Any, anyway, um, <laughs> I was talking about that. She was saying, you know, like, this is kind of, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of got pigeonholed and this is, I'm always playing bad guys. It'd be fun to sort of play something different. I did get to play a lawyer once, but for the mob. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I kind of got my wish a little bit, but still bad guy. But, but like what she said to me though, she said, you know, um, you know, working in the business, she'd been in it longer than me. And, and, and she made a good point. She, she said, but at least there was a slot like to put you in. Some people just don't, ever find that slot or nobody ever sees that slot to put them in it and consequently they don't work so they said like at least they see you as something and, and then then i was okay with it after we had that conversation i was like yeah you're right you know um they are fun to play yes yeah, some kind of sort of playing the same guy all the time but but i'm working and it's, and i do have fun when i'm on set so yeah it's it's kind of funny you mention um, you playing a criminal lawyer. And now all I can picture is like Starscream being like a Sal Goodman type character. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? That would be cool, actually. That would be a lot of fun. That's Starscream. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Starscream, Decepticon lawyer. There you go. There's your spinoff. <laughs> Better call Saul. Better call Starscream. <laughs> oh, too funny. Uh, that's a great show, by the way. Wow. Oh, Bob it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Breaking Bad and Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are just like the best examples of like how to write complex characters and just still have them be likable and still have you rooting for them, despite the fact and that the they're awful people. <laughs> But you know, it's so amazing because not only are the scripts and the performances incredible, but the cinematography in that show too is also such a strong part of the narrative to to every episode. Like every episode, you watch it and you just go, "It's just you know things like you know just the ice cream falling on the ground, and then a little bit later, all the ants are in there, just in there, and everything." And there's all these like metaphors that that are that are beautifully just just sewn in you know in, in into the whole narrative of that episode and, and it's just yeah it's just genius it really is the people that worked on those productions just every everybody like every facet of that show just amazing everything from lighting wardrobe everything just fantastic so good yeah it's hard to believe it's like a television series because this is like really like feature film quality <laughs> storytelling yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it was so weird. I mean, you know, it's a good show when it seems like it's only been on for like three minutes and the episode's over. And you know, like, no, like it's over already. Crap. It's just, yeah. Always left every, every episode left you hungry. Just wanted, just wanted to go on to the next episode. That, that was an easy, Breaking Bad was such an easy show to binge watch because you just, you, you, every episode was just so powerful, right? Oh yeah, um, you know Walter and his journey, and and just like how it affected the people around him and his relationship with Jesse, and just how it gradually gradually deteriorates from <laughs> toxic relationship to oh god, these people should not be in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and that's what you're saying. It was just like 
the 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 plot lines and everything were so complex on that show, but they always seemed to know where they wanted to go with them, and 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 it all always made like when you look at it, you go, "There's no possible way they could possibly get out of," it. and and it would always be a very interesting unraveling of something. You know what I mean? It was never kind of like, "Oh, that would never happen." It would it would be just like, "Oh shit." But, you know, okay, yeah, things just really got bad now. But it was just, um, yeah, they, they never painted themselves into a corner ever with any of the storylines that they created. Like, they were all worked out beautifully. Everything just kind of unfolded as it should, and it was incredible. What an incredible journey. I don't think anybody watched the last episode thinking, like, that's it? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how they're going to leave it? Like, like it was... Uh, they completed everything they started. It was really cool and left room for, you know, continuation and or a prequel, like what they did. So, so cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. And it's funny, like when, when they first announced like better call Saul, I'm like, yeah, I mean, interesting idea, but I'm like, I can't see this show lasting more than one or two seasons, but then like it went places I never thought were imaginable. And for a spinoff, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, I, and, and, like, to be hooked from the first episode, like, right away you went, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be really good. Because, like you were saying, none of us had any idea how they were going to pick that up and, like, what they were going to do with those characters, you know? Like, what what was the prelude to Breaking Bad going to be? And, um... Apparently, really freaking interesting um, dynamics with him and his brother, and you know, just amazing, just really, really good. I mean, it's weird watching um, Breaking, like doing a rewatch of Breaking Bad, knowing what you know about Saul as a character, and just like how, oh god, <laughs> like a lot of those scenes that used to be funny are no longer funny in hindsight. It's crazy. <laughs> and- and how brilliant though to to take like Saul Goodman, like make that the guy's name, like it's just. And and the great thing is, the first time that he says it, I think in um, in Better Call Saul, he gets called on it. Oh, I get it. Um, right, Saul Goodman, Saul Goodman, and he he doesn't acknowledge it, and and he doesn't um, refute it either. He just looks. He gives that. Odenkirk just kind of like smile with a little flash of the eyebrows and it's kind of like he's in on the joke but he's not admitting it you know it's so good (laughs) it's brilliant man Uh, yeah I just love those characters just so well done yeah um it's it's interesting there's like watching those because I'm I'm one of those people who just always finds it fascinating to write a morally ambiguous character and still make them likable. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. just fascinated by that stuff. I'm like, uh, how do you pull that off? You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just genius. It's, <laughs> like I say, it's just genius. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what it would take to even being a creative person like we both are. You can see the genius in it. You know, you just look at it and just go, wow, how do you do that? That's incredible. Or better yet, like, how how is anything going to top this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And and, um, and and it's great to see everybody go on to have such amazing careers, um, you know, in, in other productions and as as well. It's, yeah. Yeah. And an amazing group of people, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all great. Yeah. Um... 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry we got sidetracked <laughs> talking about oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we needed to talk to about, about it, man. <laughs> it was there. We had to pick it up and run yeah. with it for a bit. <laughs> um No, uh I'm I'm just looking at the time and I gotta like, you know, I, I gotta get going soon. But um yeah. yeah, before we wrap this up, uh can you give us an update on what you're currently working on and where can people find you online? Um, I have an account on Instagram and I have an account on Twitter. Um, and then I have, um, my own, um, uh, personal website too, where I, I, I post and put current things up on there at, um, michaelricharddobson.com. Um, um, I just completed, uh, last year I, I did a, sh- a short film, um, called In the Heat and, um, I've posted that on my Instagram and they, Got selected for the uh, Annecy uh, International Animation um, Film Festival. So that's big news. Um, hopefully, um, hopefully it gets shortlisted. And uh, it, it, I, I play Santa in it. It's a very interesting take on um, a Slavic folktale. And um, I'm not going to say anything more than that, other, other, other than the fact that uh, I'm very excited about that. And uh, I work with some very very uh cool people um i had the good fortune uh to be cast on this production and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing how it does uh sam chow is um it was the director on it and uh he's also listed on instagram in fact i got uh, all the people listed with that production um on my instagram site but i'm very proud to have been associated with that and like i say let's hope it does really well at the film festival this june so that's that's one of the things i'm super excited about uh, congrats, man! I'm I'm glad that you're keeping busy doing personal projects. I love hearing uh, people um, work on personal projects. Cause it's because it's fun to work on shows, but like hearing someone come up to me and be like, "Yeah, no, I'm working on this thing, and I've been trying to get off the ground for years, and and it's finally happening." I'm like, "Yeah, you do you, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you, do, you do you." Well, this this uh, I didn't wasn't involved in the production. Of this I was just cast in it uh, to, to to play the lead um santa in in this and um also um um we 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 just had so much fun um put, putting this together so I, I just i'm was very passionate about this project and really like i said hope that it does really well at the film festival that would be great um one of the things that came along that which is um which was something different for me it was it was fun to do was uh was um elvis costello the the musician he's he's going on tour um actually it's probably on tour right now um but i was fortunate enough to be selected to do the voiceover for all his uh promos for his tour this year for um elvis costello we're all going on a summer holiday <laughs> so i do like this old uh he uh elvis had this idea for the for the voice from um films dating back to the uh 1940s you know i was sort of Hello there, we're calling you from London, this sort of thing. And here he is at the beach doing well. Thumbs up to the boys back home. It was, um, anyway, it's, um, I had a blast, uh, doing those promos for him. And that was something cool and something new that I've been uh, doing just recently too that I can talk about. So yeah, so far so good, man. It's, um, it's been a good year. And I, I think, um, I think there's, uh, um, production seems to be, uh, you know, ramping up again as we get into the new year so i'm I'm looking forward to whatever 
lies ahead and more adventures, man. And I can't thank you enough for um, having me on this podcast. And and uh, it's been so great to chat with you. I, I I look forward to chatting with you again in the near no, future. No, we got to get you back, man, because this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, if I didn't have to be anywhere, I would look, man, if I didn't have to be somewhere in a couple minutes, I would have easily gone three hours. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a real pleasure to meet you, man. I, I, it's uh, too bad we live so far away because it would be great just to, you know, uh, share coffee or something and, and just <laughs> hang out with lunch or something. You know, I, I feel like you're like one of my close buddies just hanging out here. Just oh, chatting. that's so but, nice. <laughs> uh, it's been it's been great. I, it's funny. I I went on when um, my agent told told me that, that you had reached out. Um, I, she sent me some links to listen to your podcast and, and within like a few seconds of just listening to you, I'm like, I, I love this guy, man. Like, yes, I definitely want, w- would be honored to be on his podcast. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for the, for the invite. And this has been a blast. Like I said, it's like hanging out with an old friend, just chatting, man. <laughs> we even straight on call, so it's awesome. <laughs> no, uh, I'm I'm curious now. Which episodes did you listen to? Um, the one with Brian Drummond. Ah, uh, <laughs> the Vegeta glove. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I listened to that in the way you guys were chatting back and forth. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. And 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 all the names on there. I'm going. I'm in such good company here, man. Like, like <laughs> of course, I'd, I'd be honored to be on your podcast. Yeah, you, you talk to a lot of really really cool people that. I, you know that I highly respect. So, so um, and and just your way of just asking questions and the conversational, you know, way in which your podcasts always go, just so casual, laid back, and and fun, and really entertaining. Like I said, like a lot of stories I heard from you today, I haven't even heard from those guys, and I've been hanging out with them for decades. I, I didn't know that stuff. I'm like, that's awesome that you know that. That's so good. Like I didn't know that. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah, that that's that's very cool. And this has been uh, like a whole lot of fun for me. So I, I all right, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thank fun. thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. This has been great, and we I got to get you back on for the future sometime, whenever. <laughs> sure, man. Anytime yeah. you want me back, I'll be there. I'll come <laughs> and hang out with you. For a yeah. All right. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right, man. Have have a great whatever you get on for today. But uh, all the very best to you always, my friend. Take care, man. Thank all you. Right. Thank you.